Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader Stay Home Puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show. As I speak, it's Thursday, June 16th, 2022. Uh, here's a headline. We're probably not going to be talking about this uh, at all in our show, uh, but I'm just plucking from the um, the front pages of the newspaper. I use this sometimes headline. Uh, the selection season uh, polls, uh, polls have upped the ante on giveaways. That's local Chicago politics. And inside, there's more coverage of the congressional investigation into the uh, January 6th uprising. But we're not going to be talking about either of them. I just wanted you to know uh, this is a podcast. You could be listening to this five years from now. So, what was the headlines in the news? And I was about to embark on this conversation with my two distinguished guests. Now, I'm going to ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. And the first distinguished guest I'm going to <laughs> yeah, ask to introduce has the first initial C. Introduce yourself, distinguished guest. Yes, my name is Mike Alamana. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. He's got huh? jokes, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> got jokes. My name is Chico Freeman. I'm a tennis musician, tennis saxophonist. Uh, well, multi instrumentalist, composer, and um, sometime arranger. <laughs> and, yes, uh, he's a. Go ahead. And I'm an improviser. Yes, and a comedian. Uh, he's got to do like five minutes of stand up before this is over. <laughs> yeah. uh, distinguished guests whose name uh, begins with the initial M, introduce yourself. Okay. This is Mike Alamana. I'm a guitarist in Chicago. I'm also a um, composer, accompanist, arranger, and I'm also an ethnomusicologist. And I've done a lot of work on my on the other guests' family. <laughs> a lot of research on the other guests' family, the Freeman family. And I played for many years with his father and his uncle now, <laughs> Von Freeman and George Freeman. And I'm the son and nephew of the people that he's played with for many years. Uh -huh. now. now I'm playing with him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just going through the family. Yeah. <laughs> he's working his way. Uh, all right. Uh, so, gentlemen, before we get started, ladies and gentlemen, if you've listened to my show, Mike Alamana has been on several times. I think he's a great guitarist. I, I put him on the list. I had this uh, riff I did. Uh, and uh, Mike's going to be irritating me for saying this, but I really think Eric Clapton's the most overrated guitarist uh, in music today, and plus I hate his politics. So I did a story where I had all these uh, Chicago uh, guitarists that I, I th said, just in Chicago alone, we're better guitar players, uh, and uh, Mike was on the list. Some of the guitar players I put on the list got irritated at, with me, Mike, for having the list. Yeah, because I think they were worried that like somehow or other Eric Clapton would see it and think they had something to do with it, would hold it against them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Mike Alamana once came with uh, to my studio 
uh, with the great George Freeman, and they played a guitar, several songs, as I recall, three or four songs. And um, Chico, uh, I've never met you, uh, but I've been listening to your music for a long, long time, and I'm a fan, um, big fan of the Freeman family. We're gonna, I'm gonna get into like what is with the Freemans, how they're so good uh, at uh, music. Uh, but before I do that, let's get some uh, pitches out of the way. Uh, there's a, a specific reason why at this date and time we're having this show, because there's a, a concert uh, that uh, you two would like to promote. So, uh, Chico, why don't you do the promotion? Go ahead. Well, okay, before I get to the concert, which is the reason I asked to be in Chicago, you're invited to, to uh, come to our rehearsal tomorrow. Uh, it's an open rehearsal for, for press and, you know, and the like. Uh, so that's tomorrow uh, at the um, Epiphany. Epiphany. Epiphany Arts Center from 11 to 3. He got Epiphany Arts Center from 11 to 3. The concert itself <clears throat> is actually this, it's the Chico Freeman Orchestra, um, the Legacy Project, and it's celebrating my family's legacy my, from my grandparents to my dad and his two brothers, uh, my father Vaughn, my uncle Bruz, and my uncle George and myself to the ex in, in terms of continuing the continuing on and with, within the hope for the future. So, <clears throat> and extended family like Mikey here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. It's gonna be uh, at the, the Riva? The Logan Center. The Logan, oh, yeah, yeah, the Logan, the Logan Center. Reva David. Reva David Logan Center. Reva David yeah. Logan Center at the University of Chicago on June 23rd, Thursday. And it begins at uh, seven o'clock in the evening, 1900. And uh, so let's talk about that, uh, the, the Freeman family legacy, an extraordinary family, Chicagoans, uh, who are blessed with immense talent. Uh, and, uh, and I am now gonna play, and this is, I hope this works. I am so in over my head right now, Chico and Mike. Uh, but I, I, I call this up and I hope this works. So here we go, I'm gonna play this. This is the coolest song in the world. And and I'm just going to say this. Chico, you may hate this song. You may be sick of this song. It's named Chico. It's from an album called All in the Family uh, with George Freeman, Chico's uncle, uh, and Chico and uh, on sax. And Chico, I know you, you're a sophisticated guy, and it, that may be a song that you're like, oh, God, are they going to ask me to play uh, Chico again? But I love that. And sometimes when I'm walking at night, I'm going to share this confession with you, Chico and Mike. I just hear that song, and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of like an honorary Freeman because I listen to their music. So I'm Benny Freeman. <laughs> Benny Freeman, the, the drummer. I, I, I love that song. Chico, what do you think of that song? Chico, it's the song is named for you. It's, it's uh, George has his knack for these little melodies. I mean, and one thing though, I, I'm, I, sometimes I'm a bit shy. And so honestly, when we first recorded that, we were supposed to holler Chico at, in the song. We were supposed to go, ba, 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 de, ba, do, be, ba, ba, da, 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 ba, de, ba, do, be, ba, da, ba, 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 de, ba, do, be, ba, ba, da, Chico. Yeah. And, and he wanted, and I didn't want to say my own name. I was too. <laughs> so we had to George would do. Yeah, he would do. Like, oh, George. But uh, yeah, so everybody seems to like, many people seem to like that song. I wish so, it had gotten to become a big hit like uh, uh, Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Yeah. Uh, there's some similarities. It's got that nice little uh, melody. So am I wrong? to assume that because it's really popular, you wouldn't like it? I have this feeling that uh, serious musicians resent uh, popular songs. It's like, oh man, you don't know really my good stuff if you know that one, because everybody listens to it. Do you have that attitude? Not really. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think about that, actually. Yeah. 
Not not as a rule. I, I like I like all kind of music. I mean, I played with many different R and B and pop and commercially, you know, songs in my my history. You know, in terms of that. So I I have an ear for that. I like that kind of music. I, I was with Earth, Wind, and Fire for a minute, and you know, other groups I played with, uh, and I like those songs. When I, I playing on saxophone, though, it does. It, it's like um, it's less challenging. But in one way, but of course, in another way, it's very challenging because it's simple. And to make something work and happen in simplicity is one of the biggest challenges of musicians. So the answer is no, I don't dislike it or I don't mm-hmm. resent it, uh, you know. So, but I know a lot of musicians would feel that way. Oh, I saw Miles Davis uh, in the 80s. And he was like, people were calling out for him to play certain. He he did the cover of a Cindy Lauper song that I cannot remember. Time after time. Yeah. He remembered the song. I couldn't remember. And somebody called out, time after time. He looked like he was going to take that trumpet and hit him over the head with it. Uh, well, that my know. father always said, I'm sorry, my father always said that you can become trapped by your hits. Gene yeah. Ammons had that problem. You know, he red top, and yeah. and and you know, uh, you can get and people want to hear it all the time. I worked a long time with Elvin Jones, and I remember being on overseas in Sweden, and the guy he picks us up from the train station, and he thinks he's you know Elvin's sitting in the front seat, I'm in the back, and the guy puts on my favorite things because he thinks he's honoring Elvin, you know, by playing this. Elvin said, "Turn that motherfucker off." <laughs> And the guy was shocked, and so was I. And I was like, "Oh, because I, I love the song, right? right? Of course, yeah." And I said to to him, "I said, Elvin, why why you don't like it? I had to play that motherfucking song for six motherfucking years. <laughs> Turn that motherfucker off." <laughs> and so you get trapped by your your yeah, success. Right. You can. And well, so if you want yeah. to always move forward and cre- keep creating, it can seem like an impediment. Yeah. So do you, uh, Mike, you have a song like that that you just don't want to play ever again? Because I mean, you know, I mean, it depends on the situation, I guess. I, there are some maybe standards that that I've heard too many times at the jam sessions. I don't know if it's not a question of popularity, you know. I'm definitely don't want to play Coldplay at the wedding. <laughs> you can cross Coldplay off the list. Um, but now there's no specific song I mean that I can think of off the top of my head that is I try to take any song that I play and turn it into something. I, that's something I learned from your father was from Vaughn was he would sometimes he would play very simple tunes, but we would make them into something because he would he would go in a different direction with them. So it's a question of the context for me more than anything else. Well, uh, all right, Chica, before I uh, take the deep dive into the great Freeman family, uh, you mentioned you, you played for Earth, Wind & Fire. I love Earth, Wind & Fire. It's immensely. And uh, so I don't want to hear anything bad said about Earth, Wind & Fire. I got uh, nothing bad to say about Earth, Wind & Fire. They are so great. And it's just I just can listen to those records all the time. Maurice was a drummer with Vaughn for a while. That is correct. And Maurice White, proud graduate of Crane Technical High School on the west side of Chicago. A lot of people don't know yeah, him. Yeah, and he, he, yeah, and he played with Ramsey Lewis. He was the first journalist. I think he's the one on I'm at the In Crowd. Yeah. yeah. Is he? He 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 did. Um, what's the great Ramsey Lewis? Uh, the big hit he had in this. I can't believe I'm blanking on it. The In Crowd. No, in the seventies, uh, it like turned Ramsey Lewis's. Oh, the, the one he did with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I know. Um, I know the one you're talking about. I, uh, yeah. Maurice White, I'm pretty sure co-wrote it. Uh, um, Sun so, Goddess, Sun yeah. yeah. Now I'm going to have it in my head for the rest of the day. Um, uh, so, I, I there was a, a movie that I saw many years ago, a great flick, a documentary about the backup musicians uh, at Motown, the people who put the sound together. I think they were called the Funk Brothers, yeah. Uh, and they were very open. And they were all, they were, a lot of them were jazz musicians from Detroit. Uh, and they got called in. Almost all of them were jazz musicians. Yeah. And they, at, they like, this is the, the most compelling, popular music of our generation. You and I are roughly the same age, uh, Chico. So when we're both growing up, this is the music that defined our generation. And they acted like, yeah, you know, it was like, 
it was so easy. You know, it was almost like boring. You know, like my girl, the greatest opening bass. Do you have that attitude about pop music at all? No, see, because I, I don't put it in the same. I don't think, I, I think each musical genre has the things that give it its character. Each, each one thing has a characteristic. It's like two people, different people. Women, for example, if, a, a foolish man will think that all women are the same. But a, 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 a wise, wise person understands that no two people are, and no two women are the same. So you can you can enjoy individuals, you know, human beings, for who and what they are and what they have to offer, which can be completely different from that. So you don't need to compare one to the other and make one over the other. Just be enjoying, you know, that. And so I look at music like that. Um, and I think so because I love I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. I love Motown. I love Temptations. I used to sing in groups before that, and uh, and I love I, I love Papa Ochi. He's my, one of my favorite singers of all time. I love James Brown. I love I, I got to play with Indian great Indian musicians, uh, musicians, uh, flamenco musicians, and none of these musics are the same, but they have characteristics that give it a personality, and I just try to enjoy that music for what it is. Do you still listen to music? I'm, uh, I mean, obviously you do when you're playing it uh, in your club, but do you like on your own? Like I listen to music every night. Uh, it's on. I put it on when I'm doing the dishes, when I'm eating dinner. My wife loves music as well. We listen to it all the time. Are, are you in the position where you've heard music so much your whole life that you just don't want to hear it when you're not playing it? It's not that I don't want to hear it. It's just that um, at some point, in your, I think, Mike, you can come yeah. if you agree with this. I think at some point as we progress and develop, we're trying, we're looking for our own voice, our own style, our own contribution to the to music and world culture. In this way, uh, you, you, you want to be less influenced by other people. You don't want to be, you know, you, you, you find your path and you go and you go there. So you rarely uh, listen to uh, you, sometimes peers stand out like John Coltrane stood out amongst Peers and so people, many people went back and started listening, listening to him. But even Sonny Rollins, for example, who was a peer, John Coltrane, stayed in his direction. You know, he didn't. He stayed original. And I know that's true about my father. He was, and so at a point, I stopped listening to uh, things. But then there's a point when I, I, uh, when I need to, I feel like I want to listen to other people and and hear, see if there's anything inspire me or, you know. So I don't have a set rule with that, but I don't listen to it like I used to. And if I do generally listen to it, it's not in the same genre that I'm playing, you know, um, because if you want to listen, if I want to listen for pleasure and, you know, why people listen to stuff, I listen because I want to enjoy it. Not I don't want to be uh, an, an analysis, you know, a analyzing it all the time, which I tend to do if I'm listening to music that's close to me and figuring stuff out like that. Uh, but if I do listen to it, I tend to go way back and listen to older guys uh, older than me and see what, you know, trying to check out stuff that I might have missed in my development. That may it's kind of a mixed thing. There's no set rule for me. Mike, what about you? Do you listen to music in the car when you're driving or do you listen to uh, news or something? I listen. I usually listen, listen during the, like if I'm driving around during the day at home during the day, I listen to music. I don't like to listen to music like maybe right before a gig or um, usually during the day I'll listen to things um, for inspiration or um, I, I like to get external ideas. You know, I have my own, I'm with Chico on all the getting your own voice. Sometimes I, if I'm feeling stuck, I'll just listen and see an artist that I don't know. I, I am always seeking artists. I don't know. So I'm so I, I want to hear something I haven't heard before. That's generally what I work at at night, especially after gigs. I can't listen to music. I, I put a podcast on or, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, something like, to, you know, or, yeah, or nothing. Silence. Um, you know, I got to tell you that the, the my equivalent uh, as a writer is I'm always reading. And I now, uh, I, I, I write nonfiction. I write journalism. But I exclusively read fiction. Uh, because to me, the narrative is the most important 
uh, aspect of it, the way it flows? Do I get into the flow of the words as they're pouring out? And does it carry me? And uh, nonfiction doesn't do that for me. I, I, very, I find very few, it, the way the shape, the way they do it, uh, it's just like, it's just they're a presentation of facts without worried uh, about the flow. Uh, and if it's really good, I hear it uh, when I'm writing. Does that happen with you, Chico? Like, if you if it's a really good piece of music, you find yourself sort of influenced by it when you're playing it. Uh, not usually when I'm playing it. Uh, um, what, what do you mean by when I'm? I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. Um, I'm playing well, a piece of music that I'm influenced by. I, I didn't. Yeah. So, like, if I'm if I'm really enjoy the writing, and I'm the the way it's structured and the voice of the writer is what I'm talking about. That so voice that will be influenced a, by that. Okay. Yeah, and I'll start writing with that voice when I when I'm writing my own stuff. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the voice. It's echoing in my brain. I, I'm a bit of a synesthesist. I don't know if you know what that means, but um, when I I see sounds and I hear when I when I see something, I hear it, and when I see I, I mean, I, I see when I hear sounds, I see things, and when I see things, I hear things. It's kind of, you know, I hear see colors and I see all kinds of things. So um, one of the things I'm involved, I like, my whole thing is about how things feel. Benny Golson and I, Benny Golson was one of my favorite people doing that. He and I, he, he helped me a lot uh, when I first started writing for films to get to those kinds of things. And so that's part of what I do. So a lot of things can inspire me uh, musically. And what I, or what I feel, not try to do, what I think I do is when I write a piece of music, when something comes to me, some image comes to me usually, or uh, of some kind, or I, I, I've heard something and I see something, and or I feel some emotion somehow. And that, hence a lot of the titles that I, my songs have titles that are also very reflective of the inspiration that happened while I was in some way, uh, when I was writing a particular piece. Hmm. So generally get in uh, if i'm playing a song i may like the song you know but i don't think that i will get so inspired by the song that i'm playing that i'll take that song and turn around and maybe try to write a song like it or oh, get inspired yeah. from it per se i try to get myself to like if i was going to play one of mike's songs i would play in, in whatever inspiration i got i would try to put that into performing the song yeah. rather than trying thinking about what i'm going to write later or you know on my own yeah uh, I actually just, I can't help myself. It's like in my head and it's just speaking. I hear the voice and it's, I, I know you guys may think I'm crazy, but the voices are in my head. Um, hey, all right, let's talk about the music. It's different for everyone. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the Freeman family, uh, in Chicago, pretty extraordinary family. I didn't even start with your, it started with your grandfather. So, uh, why don't you, uh, just give folks a brief history lesson, uh, Chico about, music uh and the freeman family and george freeman senior was my grandfather uh he was uh he was first black policeman in chicago police force one of the very first um my dad and uncles uh, grew up listening to their father george freeman senior and louis Armstrong played little duets in the house trumpet and piano and uh so my father was influenced early on, right, by Louis Armstrong, one of the greatest in, in the history of this music. Although it's kind of funny, <laughs> Louis burst, burst at Barnes because he didn't care that much for Charlie Parker. That's sort of like my father not, not or you know, not liking the temptations for me. <laughs> but <laughs> wait, who didn't yeah. care for Charlie Parker? Louis Armstrong no, didn't no. care. You know, it's the older guys. They don't like the newer guys, and you know. Yeah. No, yeah, you know, Charlie Parker was playing too many notes and, and you know, too fast, and you know, it, it, it was different. Later on, when bebop came and then, then the guys came after that, post bop or the avant garde, they didn't like that. You know, it's just it's just generations, and that's normal in the human in human history. It's just normal, normal like that. I got it. Even in in hip hop and R and B and everything. Old, old, the OGs like uh, uh, what's that comedian's name? You know, uh, he's got he does a uh, Family Feud. 
Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey, yeah, and and his boy Cedric the That whole ilk, you know, they they got this whole R and B thing that they get the people they like. They can't, they don't particularly care for all the hip hop stuff of today and the rappers. It's just normal. And OG rappers compared to the really young ones now, it's yeah. just like it is, you know. So uh, that that's kind of like what that is. So, but my grandfather and um, and Louis Armstrong and my grandmother, uh, my grandmother was. a she uh, she sang in the church. She was very active in the church, so she was deep in the gospel music. And through that church, she got to sing with Mahalia Jackson, Clara Ward singers, and other people like that. So that that, that whole musical history started, like many black families, uh, through the church. And that's kind of like where a lot of music began for many black black families during that time, because that was probably the most. Uh, where you could, young people could express themselves and, and develop. So you look at Rita Franklin and, you know, so many others, you know, mm-hmm. that started in the church. So um, George, is, uh, George was the baby brother. Mm-hmm. So he spent, and he didn't go to the, to the armed forces. So he spent a lot of time with his mom. And I think uh, a lot of George's, what George hears, hears in his ears comes from that, that simple, that church and that simple kind of stuff, whereas Bruz and Vaughn, they left home early as teenagers to go into the armed forces because of the war came. Vaughn went to the Navy and Bruz went to the Air Force and Bruz was a Tuskegee Airman and and Vaughn was in this Navy band uh, with, with Clark Terry and some other great, really some of the best players. And so they were they were doing more advanced things you know, they had gotten away from the whole church church thing and were doing developing that way. So that all of that is, of course, uh, then I don't, if you keep going, you know, at some point they came back together and they they all played with Charlie Parker. And uh, wow, they all play with Charlie Parker. And uh, so you come on the scene. You're born. You're a a, a baby boomer, and uh, you could have done anything you wanted. You are a baby boomer. Uh, I'm a baby boomer too. Uh, you could have done anything you wanted. You chose music. Uh, was there ever like a thought in your mind that you might not follow the path of your father and your uncles and your grandfather? Absolutely. There was a time I never had any intention of doing this. Uh, one, I always thought I wanted to be a pilot. I always wanted to fly plane. When I was thinking about joining the Air Force and just to learn to, to be a pilot, to fly planes. I wanted to do that. Like the thing. So I sang in a lot of singing groups when I was a kid, you know, in grammar school, then also in high school. And I was a big fan of Motown, so I was doing all the Temptations. I could sing like Eddie Kendricks and a little bit like David Ruffin. My voice wasn't that low and raspy, but more like Eddie Kendricks and Smokey Robinson, you know, I could do that. And uh, and I did that in, in singing groups. So that was kind of like what I liked to do. I was in a group called The Rotations and then another group we had. And I did a lot, I always did talent shows. And uh, so I was... But I actually got a four-year scholarship university for mathematics. So at one point, I thought I was going to do... I didn't know what I was... I, I, well, I went to college on a math scholarship, and I was in, you know, in school studying mathematics. And uh, and I was kind of abstract always in some way. And um, But I was being recruited by IBM and uh, Data Control and somebody else. To, you know, I was I was pro I was in the computer languages and programming back at, but during that time. So I kind of thought I might go that direction, until I was looking at what the possibilities were, and I thought I didn't really see myself teaching. You know, I didn't that didn't seem you know so exciting. And uh, then I got a, I got a call from um, NASA, and they were, they were asking me to, to possibly you know join the space program, which I considered. But I, in the meantime, still playing because I played trumpet back then. I joined the marching band in school. And so then I was, I ended up graduating with two disciplines. I with a, a, deg- a degree in music and a degree in um, math. I, I had a double double major. Double, double major, major, yeah. From Northwestern. And, uh, but then my father kind of turned me around when um, uh, he was had these jam sessions in Chicago at they were at Betty Lou's. It was a club down there. And I would go on the weekends to the jam sessions. And when I would go down there, I'd get to see all these, like Clifford Jordan and 
Rasan Rolls, because they would some many times they would be playing at the um, showcase, and then they after hours they come down to Zan's jam session, and and that, because he, the, his jam session would go to three, four, and five in the morning, and I would go down there and just listen to these great musicians, for you know the jam, and yeah. I I just got caught up in, into that, and so I switched from trumpet to saxophone. And uh, I just made make these jam sessions and uh, and see these people. And, and the more I got there, the more I got into it. The more the, it started, you know, the bug started to get to me. And that's how I ended up doing this. And my father let me. He let me work with him first, not as a musician, but as a bar. Collecting money at the door. So I. But then I got. I sat there. Well, I was collecting money. And Gene Ammons and Sonny Stid, Dexter Gordon. So many other people, you know, and I'm like, it just, it just hit me, it got me. Norman Connors and just all of these people just were coming down on the south side of Chicago. This wasn't downtown or in, you know, uptown. This was in the in the neighborhood, and it was amazing. What is it about Chicago? Uh, I'll ask you this, uh, Chico, that Mike, you weigh in because you're uh, not only a musician but you've studied it uh, from as like uh, an academic or scholarly pursuit. I used to, I had an old friend who was a disc jockey, may he rest in peace, Richard Piggy, and we would talk about this all the time, about R&B, pop music. He was into pop music and R&B and that kind of thing. Like the Chicago sound, trying to, uh, you know, Jerry Butler, Curtis Mayfield, trying to isolate in pop music, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, is it different than a, like a Detroit sound? What is the Chicago sound in jazz? What's like, what's it like this distinguishing feature of it in your humble opinion? Oh. That's interesting. I can speak on that in, in a way because I played with Jerry Butler and Curtis Mayfield and uh, all those other Chicago, uh, Lou Rawls. These all these Chicago pop-oriented guys, you know, Memphis Slim, uh, Buddy Guy. I played with all those guys. And uh, that, well, Memphis wasn't from Chicago, but I did play with them. What's the other one we just passed this house? Uh, Muddy Waters? Muddy Waters, yeah. All these guys around Chicago, I had the great opportunity to play with them a lot. And uh, and um, so one thing is the blues is is usually deep in Chicago. You During my time, you could, in my father's time, you couldn't get out of Chicago if you couldn't play the blues. You had to play the blues. And uh, what was this guy? Vaughn played with... Uh, oh, Guitars? Not, yeah, and, no. Not oh, Sonny Line Slim? He played with Sonny Last Slim, but there's another one. Oh, Jimmy Reed. Jimmy Reed. Anyway, Vaughn played with all these blues guys. And I came up and I started playing with these blues guys. And then when I joined Earth, played with Earth and Wind and Fire, was when they were here in Chicago, Donald Myrick, uh, you know, Louis Satterfield, um, Ron Lee, Michael Davis, these guys were, were Jer Jerry, Jerry, something, Jerry, whoa, he was a great saxophone player. Anyway, they were all on the pop, pop side pretty much. When I played with them, you know, with them and uh, Oscar Bashir and right. uh, these guys from that that genre, and they these gone through this. I also played fusion with on the north side with a guy named Kistudis Stankowski. He was um, a street dancer, and uh, and then of course you know we had in Chicago, Chicago Second City. So a lot of during that time there was a lot of theater. And uh, I did this thing, uh, Chicago drama thing, black called the Black Fairy, which was all these people. I was in the movie Mahogany, you know. And this was all done here in Chicago. So Chicago, actually, unknown to a lot of part, a lot the rest of the world, had a great culture here. Mm -hmm. That that's even some Chicagoans aren't aware of it, you know. Th that are ha things that are happening. And I was fortunate enough to get involved in. Uh, Rippy, Minnie Ripperton, uh, with her and, and her brother Danny, who played piano in my one of my groups when I was younger, when we had these groups. So a, a lot of these bands that were coming through Chicago, and go, a lot of them left and went to other places, but people didn't even realize that they were from Chicago. Nat King Cole, Freddie Cole, they, they, he, where Willie Pickens taught school. So, you know, I, I, I had all these, I didn't play with Nat King Cole then, so I, I'm not claiming that. Um, but um, just the, the history of the DuSable, Captain Dye, Phillips High School, and all of that stuff, and the people that I was able to uh, connect, rub shoulders with, and actually perform with, and some of them took me under their wing. I played with the Spinners and the Four Tops, the Isley Brothers, all here in Chicago. 
you know, and uh, this was part of the, the um, we call it the training, I guess. Yeah, you right, know, exactly. You, you, this is part of what you, what you did. And then, and I got a chance to play with uh, Amina Claudine Myers and Gerald Donovan when, with George, watching George play with Gene Ammons when they had that band together. So I got to hear Jug and, and that, and I learned about his father, Albert Ammons. So the blues, yeah. this whole kind of a community, there's a, 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 a strong blues influence in Chicago players that you don't, that you, I won't say you don't find elsewhere, but let's just say it's very strong in Chicago players. And the other thing is Chicago players play relaxed on the backs. I say, we say there's three places you can play the beat, the middle, the front and the back. And Chicago players play on the back. And that's generally true of most Midwestern people Southern people. And if you listen to 99% of the hits in any genre of music, it's on the... It's, when you look at, listen to James Brown, Rita Franklin, all Midwestern people, you know, East Coast people, not all, but many of them have a tendency to play up front on top of the beat. So Chicago has this more relaxed... I, I liken it to like in Germany, you know, they have no speed limit. So people can fly 120, 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, uh, you know, on the highway, on the autobahn. And if you're in a Volkswagen, you're like this, you know, one of those beetles, you know, the bug. But if you're in a Cadillac, you might be going 150, 200 miles, but you'd be chilled. How fast you play in Chicago, everybody's relaxed. And I think that's sort of a, a trait that comes from here, too. All right, excuse my utter ignorance, but I'm going to ask this question anyway, because I know some of my listeners were probably wondering it themselves. So, listeners, this is for you too. Playing on the back of the beat, what does that mean? Can you give us an example? All right, if you listen to like George Clinton, uh, funk guys, you know, they play right down the middle. It's like if, if you hear the, if you hear the, uh, if this is the metronome, you play right on the beat. Uh. Okay, if you play in the front of the beat, you're on top of it. You a little bit. You know, you're a little early. So it's a little bit on edge. It gives you a feeling of yeah. the back is like a bone. It's back is relaxed, and you know you, you're not you know you, you're not in, intent in being so perfect. You just you're just on the other side of it. You're yeah. steady. It's not. It doesn't mean you slow it down. You know, if you play on top and you're good, you, you have an edge. You don't speed up. But many people have a difficult time doing that and not speeding up. I have my father and I was on the road one time. We were playing. Um, Moose the Moose, this is Charlie Parker tune. By the time we it got to the end of the tune, the melody was that's what the whole time because they play on the top and the tempo tended to speed up. The back, like Elvin Jones in jazz, example of playing relaxed and chill and steady. Coltrane would be playing all those crazy notes, but Elvin would and, and no matter how much blah, 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 Coltrane was back and the temple just it stayed relaxed all the way. It was like sitting in a Cadillac, no matter what the temple. Yeah. So that's the difference. Yeah, all right. That was good. Uh, Mike, you have anything to add about the Chicago sound? Um, I think what uh, Chico uh, encapsulates it well. It's definitely a question of, of understanding the blues. I mean, the thing that Vaughn told me when I sort of started playing with him was... Um, you know, it's nice. He says, yeah, it's great to hear someone who has a ton of technique, but play a, a slow blues or and a ballad convincingly, they haven't learned how to play yet. So there's something that I, I think, especially from Bond's generation, it's not only the uh, um, playing at back of the beat. I mean, there were times we would play with Vaughn where he'd be, we'd be playing this fast tempos, right? And he's playing like Lester Leaps in, like, he'd be behind, boom. And then he hit one, right? It was like, it was like you had to, if you weren't careful, you would fall behind, you would, the, the, you, the time would fall apart. You know, you had to be real aware of that. 
But also on the medium and slow stuff, he's always behind. That was something I always noticed. I noticed it even more because George is always on my case about it. There'll be times when we play and he says, you're Russian. I'm like, I'm not Russian. And I listen back to the recording. I'm like, oh, I was Russian. I was just a little ahead of him. And he hears those fine grain little, little. That's Mike, really he said important. that to you when you were on my show. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> he's not Russian. Chico, I, the two of them came in. All right. This is radio. So we're just stu- back in the days when I was in a studio before the COVID kicked me in my attic. And uh, so they brought their guitars. They brought these little, uh, w- uh, at least one or t- amp. They plugged it in. Uh, and they started playing. And I swear to God, uh, Chico, your uncle uh, said to Mike, you're rushing, slow down. I'm <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference. It sounded good to me. <laughs> I think you're a little hard on him, Uncle George. Uh, yeah. You're Russian, not yeah. French. Yeah. So- <laughs> <laughs> right. but, you know, one of the things, though, is that there's the, the part about um, the backside of the beat, which is really important for Chicago sound, the blues. And when, what, what way I understand the blues is not necessarily all, playing the blues for sure, but also having a blues melodies vocal you can apply to other types of tunes like standards and that sort of thing but there's also this um lyricism that was important to the chicago sound because when you you know that man the cats here can play ballads they'll break your heart you know even like sometimes even some of the like would sit in at the lounge were older and you know weren't very great of a play but boy could they play a ballad you know um might not be able to play cherokee but can play a ballad and so that was always something Vaughn is like getting that lyricism, getting the tone. You know, Vaughn was so concerned about the sound. He said, he said in one of the, uh, I think it was Steve Coleman asked him, what, 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 how do you think of your sound? He says, well, I, I don't think of having a loud sound or big sound. I want a glorious sound. <laughs> and so, and that, that can hit anybody at any volume. They'll hear it in any part of the room, you know, and all of that. There's a certain emotion behind that, a drive and emotion that I think, Sound. Yeah, that that he's the, the sound. That in, it, sound is really the, the kind of like the first thing before the blues, the blues, except for for a horn player or for uh, not just a horn player for uh, an instrumentalist, mm-hmm. no matter what instrument they play. Yeah. But in the black community, I, this is something because when we talk talking about this is what started to be African American yeah. black versus black. Black. black this is black, yeah, black. because two things man. we didn't start out learning how to read music listening to music and being able to dance to feel that's the word feel is crucial in our in mm-hmm. our thing you watch Michael Jordan or any any great athlete from Bill Russell to, in basketball you know Michael Jordan you name it uh mm-hmm. Their technique comes later. The rhythm is first. And from that rhythm, which is where you, your body moves. So if you think about how your body naturally moves, people don't, aren't into running up, you know, rushing up on stuff. Or be, they're, people like to be relaxed. You know, if you move well, you, if you're making, if you're you know, moving, you're doing stuff, you're back, relaxed. That's the first thing. Then when you pick up an instrument, the sound is the next most important thing because that's your voice. My dad always said, you have, all of us have the same 12 notes, but the only thing that makes me different from him and him different from that guy and so on and so on is sound, is our sound. So that's crucially important. That's the sun, that's, uh, that's your essence. And so no matter, you know, Sonny Stitt and Gene Ammons played the same note, or you know the difference between Stitt and Ammons. They yeah. just hear it. That's what it is. That's what it's about. So when you hear Sonny side of the street, can you tell when uh, Sonny Rollins stops and Sonny Stitt picks up? Can you hear that yourself? I can, yeah. Ten of Madness. You know that record? Mm-hmm. Or, or uh, what's the, uh, the rhythm tune I just told you? The Eternal Triangle. That's the Eternal what Triangle. Talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. That's Sunny Side of the Street time. That, that, those two, man. Sonny, the way Sonny plays and his sound completely different. 
It's just a Gene Amazon. Everybody, Dexter, it's just Stanley Tarantino. You know, you just, it's the difference. Eric Dolphin and, and Charlie Parker. Uh, so, by the way, you you were rattling off the 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 uh, the pop and uh, R and B uh, musicians that you played with, uh, my heroes back in the day. Did you ever play with James Brown? Yeah. So, did he ever yell at you for being out, not doing what he wanted you to do? Did you ever get in trouble with him? No, because I did my research before I got in. There. <laughs> but he was, but he was. Tough man, and people didn't in the beginning. They didn't think he knew what he was doing. James Brown was a bad man. He could play the piano, play the boy. Could he play the blues? See, people know him with his act because he did these same beats pretty much, and he's just you know in the way he sang. But man, you should hear him play the blues on the piano. The man just, and jazz. He, yeah, but yeah, he, he liked jazz, but he he knew what he was doing and why he was doing what he was doing, and everything was about he believed in himself and his own vision. So there, sometimes he he did stuff that that to musicians didn't make sense, and some of them they one time they kind of went you know they challenged him, and uh, I think it's they 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 make a scene like that in the movie uh, that they did on him with uh, the guy uh, that passed away. Yes, they did. And yeah. uh, and I've seen and I, I've seen that you know well nobody by the time I got him in nobody was, was you know challenging him earlier on because he said do it this way and they thought he was a genius because when he did what he did it just worked it sounded good it felt good and that's what's important no in the movie he, in, in the movie he fired the band and brought in Bootsy Collins in the movie I'm just telling you what happened in the movie you know that said you can't and I I. I I can't comment on that. Yeah, and I can comment. On, I mean, Fathead was a friend of mine, you know, uh, David Fathead Newman, and he told me about the times when they when they were c coming up and and uh, sorry, not Fathead. I'm Fathead with Ray Charles. He's with Ray Charles. Yeah. <laughs> but we but their stories got you know came about. But um, I would just do stuff that just didn't make any you know guys be looking for the turnaround that suppose that leads you there. And maybe he just jumped from here to there, and he can't do that, or that, you know. And he said, yes, I can, and then boom, and then people just loved it. Of course, some musicians didn't like it later because for the same reasons, it, it, you know. But but that horn section, man, and all his horn section had to be hitting like that, you know. Yeah. I mean, the, the JBs, you know, uh, the Fred Wesley, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, say I no play. more, okay? <laughs> yeah. Fred. Fred. They're all nice guys. <laughs> Fred Wesley, boy, he's a team father. But they play like they play chicken. Right, right. They do all that yeah. stuff. Uh, I Fred Wesley's a great klezmer player. I don't know if you guys know that, but he plays uh, Jewish music, klezmer, uh, with a band. So the guy does it all. Uh, yeah, the great uh, Fred Wesley. Uh, all right. Uh, by the way, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly, uh, Chico. I want to make sure you were in a marching band at Northwestern. Did I hear that correct? Did or at, at high school? Which, Which one? No, at Northwestern, Northwestern University. So you were at Northwestern from like in the uh, early seventies, sixty-seven, right? To, uh, yeah, through the early seventies. You had to march your band through some of the worst football teams. Uh, in the history of Big Ten competition, I just want you to know that. Actually, what am I saying? That wasn't our only only um, <coughs> hard thing to do, you know. <laughs> oh, they should North give Western you like a third, <laughs> a third uh, 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 honor for graduation, uh, <laughs> having endured that Northwestern. Not great. Yeah, but uh, it know. was harder. I tell you, what was hard and play. We we had to go down south. Of, South, we would travel, and we had yeah. to go. One time we were playing, and the marching band was, uh, oh my God, you know, yeah. we had to compensate for some reason that, that game. It was us in Grambling. I tried very hard. I told the painter, I remember, said, we need to do some different music and maybe try this and that. But they were so straight ahead, white bread kind of band, and with the, the, the you know, the, yeah. Came on there, they blew us out the water. <laughs> no, yeah. they killed us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, then they yeah, came back well. and then 
and then Painter decided to play Hang On Sloopy. Okay. <laughs> Which they still play at Northwestern. I, I, I'm a football fan. I go to Northwestern. They still play Hang On, Hang on Sloopy. Sloopy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's like, oh, here they come. That started when I was in the band. <laughs> yeah. I was playing yeah. trumpet there. All right, uh, gentlemen, we pretty much run out of time. One more time, uh, promote your show. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, these are, I mean, excellent, excellent musicians. I cannot say it enough. It's my, uh, I can't believe they're, I'm talking to them, but uh, uh, just promote the hell out of your show one more time. All right, I'm going to give some credit to some people. I did the, just the show. First, I'm going to credit um, Mike here. Help me put this whole thing together. He's been awesome with it. And he picked the best musicians here in Chicago. Oh, some of them. Yeah. Okay, you have to help me. Okay, we got D. Alexander, right? D. Alexander, Ari Brown. Ari Brown. Jeff. Jeff Bradfield. Bradfield. Greg Ward. Greg Ward. Peter Brunson. Peter Bruzen. Bruzen. Right. Peter Bruzen. Um, uh, my my Sujimoto. Sujimoto. Right? We got Victor Garcia. Victor Garcia. Uh, um, Marcus Carroll. Marcus Carroll. Uh, yeah. Momo. Mumu. Momo. Yeah, I don't know how to. What's What's Momo's that? full name. I, forget. I don't know. She I plays the French horn. We got a French horn player. Yeah. And, and um, the trombone player. Trombone players is uh, Norman Palm, Raphael Crawford, and Tom, Tom. Matta. And we got Richard yeah. Johnson on piano. Yeah. And great. Jeremiah Hunt. Yep. On bass. On bass. Yeah. And uh, and uh, and the, the other thing is. This is most of it's my music, the, my compositions and stuff, together with uh, an incredibly uh, a wonderful yeah. arranger and um, uh, just all around good guy. His name is John Kordolevsky. All the music, and he's done an extraordinary, fantastic job. I, on the level of, uh, you know, um, Miles Davis uh, and. Uh, you know, really it's incredible yeah. arrangement. We had our first rehearsal today. So that yeah. sounds amazing. And uh, so uh, this this uh, is going to be um, on June twenty third mm-hmm. at seven o'clock p.m. at the Riva and David University of Chicago. And and gentlemen, I have to tell you, you guys have been playing music together for so long and been together for so long. You finish each other's sentences like you're married or something. You guys have been playing a lot of music together. <laughs> well, the thing is, I've been playing with Freeman since 1997. With the Freemans, yeah. yeah so I know, I guess, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're you're the honorary son, Mike. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very Thanks much. Thanks for having us, man. I want to say thank yeah. you to you, too. Yeah, Ben. We really great. Love it. your show. Thank you, man. Uh, overall, yeah, anyway. No, uh, I'll, I'm going to have both of you back. Uh, oh, maybe man, next time politics. we'll uh, you bring... Well, Don't we'll get me started on politics. politics. It's better not to. Oh, man. Well, it, it, I don't know. That's what we do in this show. We get yeah. going on politics. Oh, he, he uh, but uh, anyway, I, I, I withheld uh, politics to talk uh, music. So anyway, Mike Alamana, Chico Freeman, thank you very much. Uh, I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Thank you.